We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast, where you think before you love. Please feel free to subscribe and listen on Anchor, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Breakers, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Deezer, or your browser. Be sure to share a link with a colleague, family member, or friend. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is for mature audiences due to the sensitive nature of subject matter. Think before you love is the Romantic Truth Podcast motto. You will not get slapped here, we promise. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth Las Vegas. Let's talk about something that's a reality when it comes to dating. One, we're going to talk about depression. Now, men are taught to be strong, to suffer silently and stoically. We are always viewed as the rock. We're, through tradition, we've always been looked upon as that person that had to be steadfast and had to contain their emotions. If we showed any sort of emotions that was of a feminine nature, such as crying, sobbing, feeling sorry for ourselves, anything, even in the face of failure, the face of defeat, we could not actually express our grief because we would look weak. And the only thing a woman had to do to emasculate a man is to tell him, look at you. You're no man, you're weak. If you look at some of the staged movies we had in the past of leaders, like in the movie Cleopatra and others, where a man is looked upon as shamed by his woman for not providing or failing her in some sort of capacity. He's viewed as weak, worthless. There are women out there, fellas, that will actually kick you while you're down. You lose your job. You go to a bar somewhere just to have a drink. As soon as she finds out you don't have a job, she's going to leave you. She's going to walk away. Now, I hear a lot of women who are in relationships who will say things such as, or if I'd never leave him. A lot of men have heard that lie before. As a man, you are a fool if you believe that a woman will never leave you. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have morals, integrity, and trust. But what she might have is limitations. And part of her standards would be that she had to keep a job. Now, here's the thing I would tell you. If you're in a relationship and this woman has like a bayonet in your back every time, she's got a jab at something that's really sensitive to you. She's not helping you. She's hurting you. 
A lot of you guys are in psychologically abusive relationships. Many of you women already know. But see, you have an outlet. And that outlet is a girlfriend, is a family member, is society. The only thing you have to do is shed a tear. Everyone in society is going to stop what they're doing to see what's wrong with you. A man shares a tear in anger, frustration. He gets laughed at. He gets ridiculed. He is shamed. And it's sad. The other aspect of this is you're never looked upon fairly or equally. You're the one that always have to make the sacrifice, guys. Because, see, you have to remember one thing, fellas. When you take on a woman and take on children, she's expecting for you to be able to afford her and those children. Now, many women will work with their husbands and boyfriends on it. If he can't do without her income. There are others that are not even going to hang around. They want to be totally taken care of. And if you're not doing it, they're not interested. Had a woman one time tell me straight up she was living with her mother. She was 35 years old. Extra grown, as they say. Had a BMW in the driveway. Wearing all these designer labels. And only had $300 in the bank. Off of a 90000 year job. And she tells me before we started dating she said before I would take you seriously in a relationship I'm in one house and I expect to step into another house now here's the problem if you get a loan through the VA for a home they're looking at the veteran for the mortgage payment Wife could be on it, but they're looking at whoever's the veteran. If the wife's the veteran and the husband's not, they're looking at the wife, vice versa. Now, here's the thing. What she wanted to do was for me to put her on a deed on a home, and I would have to have it purchased before we married. Now, I told her, I said, you realize what you're doing? She says, no, what I'm doing is I'm going to take half. Just in case you laugh, uh, just in case you leave. And she was laughing. But what the woman didn't realize was, in order for it to be classified as community property, we would have to be married first and acquire it together. I was going to tell her that, though. Because after all, she was a brainiac. What I decided to do was to drop that whole situation altogether because it got to a point every time I dated her, I felt bad about myself. Folks, if you ever get to that point, a lot of times it's not you, 
what it is are your feelings telling you you're in a bad situation and you need to drop it there are also other people out there if you're disabled there are people I call undertakers what these people are they go and they harvest people who are on a fixed income to go into their place with them to pay rent so that they don't have to work as hard or work at all and then what they'll do they'll get a life insurance policy on you when you pass away they cash out and it's not uncommon for these people to have a long history and they will tell social services and everybody else how nice they're treating you as this bullshit they're taking your money and sometimes they take the whole damn check because what they want to do is do so much for you until it qualifies for everything you have sadly this is how some people pay their mortgages off Be mindful of this. Keep your resources. No matter how small they are, keep them. Because, see, here's the thing. I will do something that most people wouldn't do. On a fixed income, I would leave this country and live in a place where I could actually live. Not where I could survive live or else life isn't worth living itself why struggle in America when you can live somewhere else we're supposed to be the greatest economy and all this but we damn sure don't show it when it comes down to the way we treat people versus the way we treat corporations I have seen friends of mine that have really going down a negative spiral and we look at the word suicide as if it's a taboo thing it's a horrible thing but we talk about it just like we do race in silence there are a lot of people that need help there are a lot of depressed people walking around right now and we don't need this in our society for the most part because it's like a cancer And it's toxic, very toxic. I've known at least 20, 30 people in my lifetime that have died based on depression. They didn't kill themselves, all of them, but I could tell that that was their downfall, their spiral down. One lady I remember specifically, she had a very hard time establishing relationships. She was going about it all wrong. But she was one of these people you could never talk to her or tell her anything about what you observed about her. Her girlfriends tried, her relatives tried. And this woman died literally of a broken heart. Anxiety set in. She thought she was never going to find anyone, and she was only 30. She thought her life was over. Depression is a tough thing to deal with, because what? let me tell you what happens when you're depressed, because I've dated several depressed women before. They devalue themselves, that's the first thing, people in general who are depressed. 
they look for and crave negative things in order to solidify and verify their mindset, the way they think about themselves. They may not bathe for several days. They may not comb their hair, cut their hair, call in for work for sick days, and even if they lost their job, they wouldn't care. They resign to the fact that they don't deserve things. And any contributory negative factors that come into play in their lives as they're on that spiral downward, they attribute that to what they deserve. So the depressed person, they don't believe they deserve certain things. And they think that everything in the future is going to be bleak, negative, and dark. And that's not the case at all. Sometimes what you need to do, folks, believe it or not, and I'll tell you this firsthand because I was at the cusp several times in my life of going down that road. But I knew I didn't want to gaslight myself and put myself in a mindset that was not authentic. And by the same token, I didn't want to go and allow this beast to eat me alive, like I saw it do many other people. I remember one beautiful woman that I went out with a couple of times, and we could never get that romance and relationship thing going. We really liked each other a lot, but we just had that impasse. We couldn't get past the commitment side of things. She wouldn't commit to me. I was afraid to commit to her. And the reason being, we enjoyed each other's company, but every time we were together, it was like holding a glass vase over a marble floor. You were afraid if you slipped, tripped, that it was going to break. And she would tell me things like, oh, you're just saying I'm beautiful. At first I thought, okay, she's doing this to get more compliments, to get more attention. And then I started to realize she really did not like herself. I'm fat. And she wasn't. She was very shapely. I'm ugly. She wasn't ugly by any stretch of the imagination. You don't like me. How do you know? Because a depressed person will go and reach for every negative aspect about themselves and about society, about life that they can find. Because it has to fit that narrative. And they want to marginalize any of the true positive things that they come across about themselves and about things overall. Many times, a lot of depression is fused by the environment in which they're in. I had a friend of mine years ago, when I was homeless in that car for two years, battling with not getting depressed, looking at my situation, and what kept me from being depressed? It was actually my job. I had something to look forward to every day. I had to come in with a business suit, different one every day. 
had them hold them at the cleaners, and I would come get them whenever I needed them. And Mr. Chu, if you're still listening, if you're still alive, sir, I thank you for those years you helped me out. 1500 thread count shirt, frightening watch, silk ties, the whole nine. Because I had to project an image at work as if everything was okay in my life. The first day I had to do this, I felt really bad. What would these people think of me? I'm less than they are. These people have homes out in Pacific Palisades. They have homes out there, Rancho Palace Verdes, Rolling Hills, Diamond Bar. What did I have? A car with a few suitcases in the trunk. And that was it. And my dignity. And I would feel so low. And then when I'd get my check, I'd realize, damn. Okay. There are a lot of things I could do with this, but I had to keep in mind, I have to pay bills. And I also had to put some money away to get a place to get off the streets. I had to make sure my mom had everything she needed. It was a sacrifice. I kept myself motivated by thinking about the outcome, not about the process. And then I realized, you know what? I'm going to be somewhere where I could be happy and I can live. Because what happens, folks, especially you men, Depression sets in a lot quicker for you because everything we do is merit-based. Everything we do is based on competition. And when we fail, we take it hard. And society and nobody else really gives us a chance to really grieve. We have to do it in silence. This is the reason why, ladies, when men look at you, we're looking for integrity and trust so that we can be weak when we need to. Because see, talking all that crap to these guys out in the street, the only reason why that's done is to reaffirm an insecurity that we have. It's to go and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm an alpha male, whatever. You're doing that crap for your own benefit. You're not putting fear in nobody else's heart. You realize how many men walk around saying they're alpha males? And what does it mean anyway? What would it prove? You're going to get old. You're going to get defenseless at some point in your life if you live long enough. And your alpha and your male ain't going to mean a damn thing to a young kid that's 20, 30, 40 years younger than you are. You can talk about how you were the OG and all that stuff. They don't care. You have lived your time in the sun as they see it. You got to remember, in this country, these kids are calling people old when they get 30. That's how 
people are devalued. I'll be honest with you. When I was in my 20s, I thought people who weren't rich in their 30s and 40s, I thought they were failures. I didn't want to hear it. In my early 20s, that's the way I thought. I thought, man, what they do with their lives? And these people only in their 30s and 40s, not to mention 50s or 60s. And when they got to 50s or 60s, I was saying, oh, I don't want to be like that person. But guess what? You have a life journey. When you're young, you're naive like that. You think that these people fail and never look at the fact that they tried as hard as they could just to make it where they were. More in a minute, folks. Now, one thing that we don't do in our society, we don't stress mental health. We look upon it as something that's shameful, something that's embarrassing, and we will go like they used to do in the South growing up down there, where they will have every kind of dysfunction and try to hide it. They would do it from child molestation to rape to murder all the way up to a person being mentally ill. They'll try to hide it. No snitching. Family secrets. Based on being embarrassed of being judged by society, by people who could not judge their own lives properly. This is what happens. Family reputation was more important than a person's salvation. It was a sad case. There was a man in Mississippi, his wife and daughter were pregnant at the same time and he would dress them alike. These women were not allowed to speak to anyone. Total dysfunction. But it was normal to them. What you have to remember, folks, is this. Depression is nothing to play with. If you're dealing with a person who admits that they have to battle with depression, they recognize what's wrong. And they're trying to work on it, hopefully. Going to a therapist. Not getting strung out on all these antidepressants and drugs unless the therapist requires it. A lot of people will go self-medicate They'll read something off of WebMD and before you know it, they're taking some damn pills and they don't know what's going to be the side effects. It's always best to go to your doctor and have yourself checked out. Talk to them. Work in tandem with your therapist and your regular physical therapist, your regular doctor. This will help you. I've been through some grim times in my life. But one thing that I had to learn how to do, because one thing you do with depression is this, after you've been dealing with it for a while, you start developing coping mechanisms. 
And what you're hoping for is that this bout is not as bad as the last one. You're hoping that this one won't make you do something stupid. And it's a tough call. Because every time you don't know where you're going to land. And so what I started to do, because here's what happens a lot of times when you're dating, folks. You meet someone, and I get this all the time. When I talk about the reality of dating, I love it when I hear this particular deflection technique. Oh, let's, I, only, I only deal with positive thoughts. I only deal with positive things. The reason why I don't feed into that is because I know when they come down off of that gaslighting, they're going to hit hard. They're going to hit very hard because they're dealing with something in their lives or they've dealt with something that they really haven't reckoned with yet. See, a person who's already gone through depression or who's going through it and acknowledges it, guess what they do? What do you do with things you fear? You respect it, but fear is not respect. And this is why people get it mixed up because these young gangbangers and stuff, they think that fear is respect and it's not. They want to fear me because I'm I'm the baddest so-and-so around. But see, here's the thing. Depression is that silent killer. It will step into your life and it will spiral you down. And if you've got someone in your life that's contributing to that spiral, that's not helping you either. There are some people out there that are depressed, but they want to transfer that onto someone else. Women do it all the time. Oh, he got a little dick. Uh, uh, yeah, he act like a woman. They're transferring those negative sentiments they have about themselves, how they feel about themselves, that negativity. They're transferring that on to someone else that will be more responsive to feel their pain. That's all it is. This emasculation thing. That's all these women. Think about it for a moment, fellas. A lot of these women talking about their boss bitches and all this stuff, trying to take on the man's role to shame him. They're children. These are grown-ass children doing this. These are not women. Confident women don't have to stoop that low. They just don't. Because they take pride in who they are. And of course you have folks that always say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You hear that all the time. You write in with those same words over and over and over again. I get sick of reading those emails. You don't know what I've been through. Now I'm not gonna marginalize your experience, but I will tell you this much. You've gone through something that someone else has gone through also. You don't know that person, you never saw that person before, probably will never see him in your lifetime, but guess what? A person like me, when I read these emails, and I'm saying to myself, wow, she sounds just like Charlotte in West Virginia. She sounds just like so-and-so in Tennessee. She sounds just like so-and-so in Maine. 
because it comes down to the same issue. Now, another thing too. You're going to have people who self-medicate and they feel as though they can handle it themselves. They don't want to go to the doctor. They don't want to spend the money on their insurance. They don't want to, they just want to go and take care of it themselves. And then what are they doing now? They're overly protective. They're, they're guarded against any criticism whatsoever. They become very hypersensitive. And like I told you, like I told you folks, the more hypersensitive you become, the easier it is to manipulate you. It's very easy at that point. We can look at what Black Lives Matter did with the black community for the most part. It made us very hypersensitive on what? Incidents between white police officers and young black men. But what did it do in regards to solving the major problems in the black community, which are two, killing each other, black men, and getting incarcerated at a high rate. Long after the police have taken these men into prison. If anything we need to address, it's going to be the prison industrial complex in this country. We have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the people incarcerated in the world. We have more people incarcerated in the United States than the country of India that has 1.4 billion people. Why is that? What has happened throughout the years, folks, especially with African-American men and Latino men, it has become a cottage industry for corporations to get into the penal system. The Patriot Missile System. Some of you may be shocked to know that prisoners work on that. Along with other corporations, J.C. Penney's years ago used to have their genes made through the prison system. What did this mean? And you wonder why many Americans and why we have an unemployment rate in this country? A lot of it has to do with the fact that the prison industrial complex, they're getting cheap labor, like slave labor, because this is one thing that's the fuel in America. Anytime a country allows people to be enslaved, to be a factor in the economy, especially in the South back in the day, what that tells you, without a doubt, they don't give a damn about you. They're only concerned about the results and the profits. You look at it now, many of those southern states, they have all these penal systems where they were just herding these minority men into prisons to keep the numbers up so that they could go and do what they normally would do. Birth of a Nation started all this. The sentiments were already there well before then after Reconstruction, after slavery, 
after the Emancipation Proclamation. The Klan didn't start burning crosses until after birth of a nation, which was done for dramatic effect, mind you. Had nothing to do with religion, had nothing to do with symbolism. It was to incite fear through theater. I realized that the night that I told you about that police officer saved me because I could have gone past that Klan rally and couldn't have been picked up and it would have been over for me. I wouldn't be able to make this podcast today. Well, we have to come to grips with folks. A lot of these young men are joining hate groups. A lot of these young men are joining MGTOW movements. A lot of them are becoming lone wolves because they feel isolated. Men go into the workplace and shoot up God knows how many people. Mass shootings. We're averaging about two per day. Why? These people are looking at themselves in a very negative light and they don't have any hope for the future. What we're stressing in this country is debt, weaponization, and the politics still remains the same. No matter whether you're Democrat or Republican, the football doesn't move. Because no matter what, a military industrial complex, oh, they're doing fine. Now, here's the thing. As a Marine, years ago, I only made $820 a month as a corporal, as an E-4. This was back in the 1980s. Now, let me tell you something. Even when they would come in with these advanced missile systems and systems that we used to test fire and everything, Mars and all the rest of that back in the day with the uh, combat soldiers. What we had to come to grips with was one thing. They were spending more money on technology that would never go anywhere than they spent on the very troops, marines, sailors, and airmen that served this country. Even to this day, it's the same thing. Things are more advanced now. More technology. You don't need so many boots on the ground now. Which is a good thing. That saves lives. But we had to come out of that old way of thinking. We went into Iraq. We went into Afghanistan. We had a lot of men and women come out of there permanently damaged. When I go to the VA, I used to see it all the time. These people were broken. For the sake of nation building, chasing one man and his cohorts. No more than about maybe 100 people. Do we have to turn over two countries for that? And then find them in a third country that was in 
quasi-ally. What were we thinking? And what happened with Afghanistan? It went right back to what they were doing before. Doubling down. We helped them against the Russians in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s. And then we turned around and we saw what happened when we went in. All those innocent lives gone. For what? We look at Vietnam. We could have done better. The only thing we did, had to do was hold up our commitment in that interim period while they separated North and the South to have free elections. But no, we didn't want to do that. We wanted democracy throughout the whole nation. Where the people could have chosen their own destiny, we wouldn't have had to fight. Or when Douglas MacArthur went back into Indochina and Ho Chi Minh begged him to leave American forces there in Vietnam. So he didn't know what the Chinese were going to do if they were to come in. We had opportunities. We ignored them. Now, how does this lead to you or anyone with depression? These are some of the people that you might wind up being married to and dating. Especially a veteran that have seen service, seen combat. And you have to understand that man or that woman may have some things that they're dealing with in their heads that's not going to leave them in this lifetime. We're going to talk more in a sec. Now, there are people out there who are enablers. They look for a certain personality type. They're looking for someone who could be easily manipulated. A whipping boy, a whipping gal. Person may be a narcissist. And the only way they could actually sustain themselves every day without looking in the mirror and crying is to put someone in their place, to put someone down to suffocate their optimism. Ladies, some of you have been with men who told you you were fat after you've had his children. And he looks at you and says you're fat, but even though he calls you fat when he comes home from work and pissed off at the boss, you're not so fat when when he's between your legs. You're not so fat when you're going down on him. You're not so fat when you're cooking his meals. You're not so fat when you're going to work to help sustain the family. You're not so fat when you're taking care of those children. You're not so fat when he gets weak and he starts crying and he starts really feeling the pain of all of the things he's done, lashing out in order to feel better about himself, he's trying to make everybody else feel miserable. Some of you men have gone through this with your women. Nothing's good enough. You don't make enough money. She could do better than you. You have a little dick. You're horrible in bed. 
She keeps you in financial ruin deliberately. You pay off credit cards, she goes to get another one to keep you in debt and keep your ass chained to that desk working for 20, 30 years. To pay off something that you probably won't pay off for the rest of your life. I was in the break room one day and uh, we're working at Richardson Forwarding Company. And uh, what had happened? This gentleman came in, he worked in accounting, and he was so stoic, he was just staring. And I didn't understand why he was staring. And some of the people would break room, they were like, did you see him? He just, I said, yeah, so it's kind of weird. And we didn't know him that well because he was kind of aloof. Well, one of the ladies in the office Asked him, was he okay? And he said, no, because I'm going to be chained to a desk for the next 20 years of my life, trying to pay for a person who doesn't love me, kids who don't respect me, and a house in a neighborhood that's going downhill. So I'm not okay. During that time, though, therapy was not something that was really popular. When you heard a person say they were going to a therapist, you thought they were crazy. Because that was the level of ignorance we had in our society. Well, one day this guy decides not to show up at work. Two days, three days, four days, five days, six days, they were calling home, calling to try to talk to someone. The wife hadn't seen him in a while. Well, what this man did, he got burned out. He got tired of being underappreciated. So he packed up all his stuff one day, said he was going to work, and never came back home. Never showed up at work again. Didn't come pick up his last check. Didn't care. This was his way of coping. escapism. Now, how does this affect you? You're in a relationship with someone. Take, for instance, you're trying to save up for a house. You're putting money away religiously. Then your partner decides to go into the bank account and go on a shopping spree. Could be a man or a woman that does this. Because they feel as though they're trapped they're starting to feel depressed. So shopping is a band-aid to cover that, to make them feel better. They have something to look forward to. And this is what it comes down to, folks. A depressed person has to have something positive to look forward to. And the problem for many of them is that they can't see the forest for the trees. They just can't. I remember years ago, a guy was asking me when one of my clients at the uh, financial company I work for, he was like, you know, now that I have this money, it's not much, but I want to come up with an idea to open a business. And I told him, I said, here's what you have to do. I said, you know, ideas work to open businesses. The reason why you know this, 
America was based on an idea, a country. And if you could do it with a country, you could definitely do it with a business. And he thought about it. I said, now, here's what I would do. I would go and examine many facets of society and business. We already know what businesses do. You got to look at what they're not doing. And that may be an avenue for you to actually look at establishing yourself. Why do you think I started this podcast? It was a need that was not being met. That's why I did it. To talk about the nitty gritty things in relationships. And this is what you have to do. Doing the same old thing everybody else does. What happens? It gets you nowhere. Everybody was hurting toward Bitcoin. A few weeks ago, well, a couple of weeks ago, you got punched in the face with it. It's like we're sitting here and we're letting entertainers, singers, actors who tell their political views as influencers on their following fan base. This is a democracy. This has nothing to do with a damn entertainer having an influence or a sports figure having an influence. Folks, we have become too close. It should have been come too close instead of become too close. But we have come too close to these people. We have to respect them. Yeah, we like what you do for a living. But guess what? I'm going to read the fine print on this legislation before I vote. Before I vote for this candidate. It's okay for them to express their opinion. They have the right to do that, no problem. But what I'm saying is, if you're using a celebrity as a leader, or an athlete, or even a pastor in some cases, you're lost. Not one person on the face of this earth has it better than anyone else when it comes down to what's going to happen after you die. You can pontificate, you can say, you can act, you can do anything you'd like to. But you don't know yet. You don't know. And these are the things that you will have to contend with. With the depressed person, you'll probably have to check on them emotionally ever so often, quite frequently. To see what kind of state they're in. You have to understand that you're not going to be able to save everyone. You could barely save yourself at that. Have it ever occurred to you? Because a couple of the ladies I dated, especially African American women, they would do this, and I would feel sorry for them in a way. In the sense that they would literally go out and they would try the last ditch effort to save someone. 
and they try to help someone when they couldn't help themselves. And I would tell them, make sure you're good first before you start extending to help someone else because it's going to hurt you in the end. Oh, that's selfish. And these very same women used to tell me how selfish it was would wind up on the losing end. Because see, culturally, we got this uh, bond called the struggle. In other words, being treated the same by mainstream society because of our membership card, our skin color. But we all have different experiences in that experience. I had a broader experience because of the fact that I came from the South in an era when America was fighting for civil rights and had to go through the transition like many people in my age group. And going from Mississippi to California was a definite duck of the position. So I had to leave Mississippi for other reasons. It was a depressing place to live after what I'd gone through. And I had to think about it. I looked at some of those old black men and women down there. A lot of them were stressed for their kids to get an education, but would never try to open a book themselves. They had given up on themselves. And then you would hear these old folks talk about how they couldn't wait to die to see Jesus. And I said, you have to die to be happy? You literally would have to die to be happy. And I didn't want that as part of my whole narrative in life. I said, there's a world out there. There are places, there, there are people in the world that I want to meet. Places I want to see. So at least when I close my eyes, I have an idea of the environment in which I live. And then after a while, I didn't see myself as just an American. I saw myself as a global citizen. And understanding that in different regions of the world, there are different challenges, things that are totally foreign from us. Value systems, sense of family, sense of self. And I realized that everybody wasn't motivated by the acquisition of money and assets. Some people were just genuinely happy. When I was in the Philippines, people were dirt poor in certain areas because land is an issue in the Philippines. But here's the thing. People smiled. They didn't complain. They didn't bitch about things. And I thought that was amazing because here in America, if we're inconvenienced, we're pissed off. Those people didn't have welfare checks coming in, some of them. They lived in the crypts. For those of you who don't know, cemeteries where they would take 
curbside or mausoleum, and they would rent those places out for living space. A whole culture exists in that environment. And so what do we do here? A man gets called for a felony. 40% of the prison population filled with black men. 40%. And we sit here and we've allowed all these crime bills, tough on crime, the imbalance of cocaine versus powder cocaine. Remember that? The war on drugs. Remember that? And every time they come back with a new idea, a new gimmick. Because there are people that are out to make money off of free labor, the cheapest labor they can, and they don't care. Corporations have lobbies. Remember ALEC and how it had to reform certain practices that it had? Still not a saint yet, but it still has it where the corporations could set policy in America. What we need to do as a society is to come up with a truth and policy initiative. And what is that? Everything has to be factual and get out the emotions of politics. Take it and throw it away and deal with the facts. That's what needs to happen. Instead of having a guy show up at a rally and tell you one thing and then get everybody riled up to vote for him and they could embellish and they could lie. Because lying is legal when you're a politician. Why don't they make that part of the oath when they get sworn into Congress and the Senate that they will not lie, even to the people? Oh, they don't lie in front of Senate subcommittees. They don't lie. They don't lie when they get into the Supreme Court and all the rest of these other places. Well, why should they not be held to the same standards and not lie to the American people as well when they're on the campaign trail? They can propose to do things, but they need to have the facts to back it up. More in a moment, folks. Now, if you're suffering from depression or you feel as though you're in a place where you don't feel good about yourself, talk to someone. We have a hotline number at the end of the show that you can call and talk to someone because you need to. You don't need to just keep that in your head. 
You need to get those emotions out. A lot of you men, especially. You grew up, dad told you not to cry. Dad told you not to be a wimp. You're not being a wimp. You're being a man. You're being human. You're not a robot. You gotta have feelings and sentiments. Even when I was in the Marine Corps, how tough they wanted you to be, but guess what you still had to have? That sense of humanity. The sense of knowing how to deal with civilians as opposed to other combatants. You don't want to lose your humanity is what I'm saying, folks. And this is what we're on the road to as a culture in this country. We're looking at people as inanimate objects, as threats. that are no threats. I'm talking about regular everyday folks that you walk past every day and won't speak to. I'm talking about the time when I was in Santa Monica at a corner getting right across the street and a woman locked her car doors. Scared to death of me on the corner. Wanting to walk across the street. I'm standing there at the corner. She got so scared she got in the middle of the intersection. Almost had an accident with another automobile because she was so afraid of black men. So afraid that she could have taken her own life by accident by running that red light. At least did she know I had a better car than she did. But it was that fear. Now, folks, uh, let me tell you this. Don't play with depression. Don't play with it. Don't slough it off. Don't ignore it. Because it can get worse. And it feeds. You want to keep that hungry beast away from you. And you have to start looking at your options. That's the reason why I tell these folks when they write in. Let's talk about your options. Let's talk about the choices you have. Because see, one thing with depression, you feel as though you've lost control. Life is taking you on this roller coaster ride that's kicking you in the ass along the way and you can't do nothing. And that's not the case at all. You have to look at it from a different perspective instead of the one you are constantly focused in on. If you ever seen that uh, spiral test that they give you where it's like this circle, it looks like a corkscrew and it's going straight. Well, if you don't use your peripheral vision, you'll lose focus because you'll be so far into it that you'll realize that the world doesn't center around that spiral. If you cut your eyes to the left and right, you'll see that you're out of the field of vision of that spiral. That's your objectivity. That's a place where you could actually take your brain and say, you know what? This right here is manipulation. To the left and right of me, 
is reality. But what happens with depression, you get put into this place of suspended reality. Things are much worse than they really are in your head. The person who breaks up with you abruptly, doesn't tell you, doesn't call you, and you go into this panic you have the anxiety. You're sitting by the phone waiting for them to contact you back. Waiting for them to text you back. Instead of thinking, you know what? Let me release this because this is not worth it. Now go on. I used to get criticized a lot by women because what I would do I would break up with them. If communications broke down, we broke down. And they'd call me two or three weeks later. Hey, why haven't you called me back? I said, if you remember, I was the last person to reach out to you. I didn't hear back from you, so as far as I saw it, you were preoccupied with something more important than me. The last thing I'm not, the one thing I'm not going to do, (coughs) one thing I'm not going to do, excuse me, One thing I'm not going to do is to put myself in a position where my life pivots around your decision. You don't have that kind of power over me. The extent of your power is the power I allow you to have. So if you choose to abuse that by not communicating, I take that as a slap in the face. And I don't like getting slapped in the face. So there's no need for me to pursue you anymore. And what you do then, once you've taken the power from a person, you start feeling better about yourself. Because it's like you're in this emotional nosedive, like you're in a plane, like that pilot down in Florida. And what did he do? He said that he gradually brought that plane back up. He didn't want to jerk it back up because it'll snap the wings off the plane. So he gradually brought it back up to level it out. And then he had to establish communications with the tower. And he listened intently in order to land that plane. And that's what it takes. That's how you have to navigate your life sometimes. You got to get in that cockpit. When you see that your life is spiraling down over a relationship, over someone that fails to communicate with you, you're going to have to have some sort of recovery to save you. And that recovery process has to start well before you've given your last in that relationship. It has to start when you first started noticing that nose dive, you need to get your hands on the controls to bring yourself back up. And you do it gradually or you'll fall right into anxiety, panic, and then you're dealing with a tailspin and you're 
destined to crash at that point. You don't have to. When you tried your best in a toxic relationship, save some of yourself for yourself. Save more of yourself for others that will treat you better. And this is something many women don't do with men. And you got to. Because after this is over with, that relationship, I don't care if you're married for 50 years, is not the defining moment in your life. Let's look at Warren Buffett. Became a billionaire in his 60s. Now, anywhere along in his past life, he probably thought that maybe I won't become a billionaire. But he did. These things can happen because you don't know what is in store for you in this thing called life. That dash that's over your tombstone, you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what it's going to be filled with. It could be that the very end of your life is are the best years. You don't know. Look, I was on Facebook dating the other night. And there were some people that responded to my profile. I looked at them. They were pretty nice people. And then there was something amazing. There was an 82-year-old woman that contacted me. And she said, if I was 20 years younger, I would date you. And this woman didn't look 80. She looked like she was about maybe, I'd say, at the most 55 or 60. Kept herself up very well. And the interesting thing she said was, she lost her husband when he was 35 years old. And she never remarried again. She said for 20 years, she didn't even go out on a date anymore. For 20 years. And her kids now, which are grown in their 60s, are trying to get her to date again. And I thought that was really cool because at her age, she never threw up her hands and said, it's over for me. And so there's always this positive vibe going. It's always there. It doesn't go away, folks. No matter how bad your situation is, no matter how dire it is, but what you have to do is look at the periphery, not just look straight ahead at the spiral. This will help you. Because that's your reality when you look to the left and to the right. And you get out of that cone, you get out of that spiral, and then you could actually sit back, look away from that spiral, and look at your options. And there are many. There are many options. I was listening on YouTube to this uh, guy. He was a writer, music writer. 
wrote lyrics, lyricist, and he said that uh, he had gotten depressed because he was under a record label and everything he had written was a flop. And he said, you know, my wife started noticing a change in me. I was no longer the nice guy. I was no longer the guy that showed affection to her. She became an accessory as opposed to a necessity. And he said what he did, he sat down one evening with his composer. And they put together a song. And they didn't think that this song was going to do anything. They thought for sure this was going to be a piece of crap song that was going to be like the rest. But that was actually the saving grace for this individual. He said, had it not been for that song and that success, but what he didn't do was quit. He kept doing what he did because he had a passion and a drive for it. And he changed up many things along the way. But he didn't think that change was going to lead to anything successful because he felt at first that he had tried everything. And that's what put him on that spiral of depression. And then he struck gold. And ever since then, things were looking up for him. And he wrote for other artists throughout the industry. This is what happens. All is not lost. The only way it's lost is if you give up on yourself. And you can't do that. You should be your biggest cheerleader. But here's the thing. You don't have to go over the top and cut other people down in order to do that. You can just find pride and confidence in yourself. Because when we look introspectively, sometimes we look at ourselves and we want to cut ourselves down. Why? There's no reason to. We fail to look at wherever you are in life right now, I will tell you this, folks, you got it better than somebody else. There's somebody else that's struggling much more than you are. It was funny. I remember in California, there's a kid that I went to high school with. And he was upset at the time that he couldn't afford a pair of Nikes and he had to settle for the leather Converse tennis shoe. And I just started thinking back in Mississippi. We had a kid that didn't have any shoes. He had the semblance of, of shoes. Basically what happened, the canvas had worn off on his Chuck Taylors and he literally had to tie the shoes onto his feet, the soles. And we got much money together and that's what we did as a gift to him was buy him some shoes. And coming to California, hearing this guy complain and he's walking around and very expensive tennis shoes at that time, but they were Converse and he wanted Nike. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know how good you have it, felt. It's an inconvenience for you, but it was a necessity for that other man in Mississippi. These are things that we have to look at. 
and we have to be thankful for. We have to humble ourselves. And humbling yourself is not being depressed. Humbling yourself is a reality check to appreciate where you are in life and what you have to offer and what you can do. That's what it's about. I want to thank you for listening, folks. And if you're battling with depression or anything of that of that nature, please go get some help. If you're a veteran, the VA has a hotline. Please use it. Ladies, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about the stigma. Don't worry about the stereotype. I've known people that started therapy and they quit because their peers, their parents, and their family members said that, Oh, well, we don't, want it. we don't want that to be embarrassing to the family. You don't know. No, don't listen to that. Go for help. Because let me tell you something. You don't know what those family members are dealing with. Many of them probably need therapy themselves. But when you take the initiative and you go for your own well-being and your own mental health, that is a very good thing. Because we look at mental health. Two things we fail to do in this country. Oh yeah, we we spend a hell of a lot of money on health care, don't we? But we don't look at our dental health and our mental health. If this country really gave a damn about us, those two components would be vital instruments in our society. Dental health, what would that do? People could have a better selection of food, which means that people get their teeth together, guess what they're not going to do? They're probably not going to eat foods that will mess those teeth up again, which means that our diet would change to a more healthier regimen. They need to stress exercise, which would help us a lot. They also need to stress mental health. Because we're dealing in a society where we pretty much can get anything we want, damn near do anything we want to do, as long as it's legal. And sometimes we go too far. And we have to be reeled back in for our own safety and sanity. So please... If you're experiencing any kind of trauma, any kind of issues, there are state, county, federal agencies that you can contact that can help you. Whether you're in the United States, whether you're in whatever country you're in, talk to someone. Express your feelings. You deserve it. Take care, folks, and thank you once again for listening. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. 
The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.